Today's lesson text follows the story of Jesus quieting a storm. The disciples asked, Lord, do you not care if we perish? And as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, I, this is one of the stories that Mark expands and expands the most. And I think not only has Jesus just gotten off the boat after the storm, but I think this is a good segue from that story. Because if the storm was the external threat, today we are going to deal with the internal side of it. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So they, using the disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the rare Sidonians. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit led. Now this man had lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Now night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always howling, cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. He bowed down before Jesus, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to Jesus, I'm sorry, for Jesus had said to the man, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, speaking to the demon, what is your name? And the demon replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now the demon begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out into the desert. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged Jesus, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the swine, and the herd, numbering about two thousands, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Now the swine herds ran off and told this story in the city and the country, and then people came out to see, well, what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demonac sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demonac and to the swine reported it again. Then they began to beg Jesus, all the people, they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat to leave, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what a mercy he has shown 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, we may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. Just first off, because I know my audience and I know my context, we in the church of 2021 have a hard time relating to this story. There tends to be a 1970s behavioral attitude, that run, behavioralism, psychology attitude that runs through the church. In white congregations, we tend to think stories of demons and stuff like that are for the colonies, for places where they're superstitious. But my friends, that is an obsolete viewpoint from when we used to think that the mind was just a bunch of of churning gears and cogs. One of the things that I hear every once in a while is that our emotions, love, feelings, are just a bunch of chemicals. And one of the things I have to point out as a millennial that gets us in trouble with the older folks is we like to point out that thought, that emotions are just a bunch of chemicals, that thought that's so logical, well, that's a bunch of chemicals too. You see, as a millennial, I grew up in a world where not everything is physical. Yes, you have the computer, but on the computer there is a whole bunch of software. And you don't see software, you don't touch software, you may load it up, but it is out there in the cloud. And it's very real. If you don't believe me, go out and try to make a copy of Windows and sell it on the street. You will find it is real quite enough. And just like software has that ephemeral character to, characteristic to it, there's bad pieces of software out there, too. There's viruses. And to not push the analogy too far, because I, I don't want to go to some sort of weird uh, computer programming uh, buildup of humanity. We just live in a world where even in our daily existence, there is something outside of humans and something outside of just the physical, the mechanical, and the Newtonian viewpoint so many Christians seem to want to take. And that that it's not motivated by faith when people get there. It tends to be motivated by culture, because if you're living in a nice town like Epping, it's very easy to say, well, this demon act is just a psychology case. That's just the way it is. If you're from a bad part of the world like I am, from a ghetto, you don't have that option. People out there, they've seen evil, and they've seen how irrational it is, and they've seen the ability it has to take hold of individuals. And I would challenge you, and I think most of you know deep down in your hearts, that even in this town of Epping, it is not always clear of those spiritual forces that come in and snatch away. As we get into this one, yes, there is something demonic behind the mechanisms of addiction, of unrepented sin and the destruction it brings. So let's go into this story, and I figure most people know this one a little bit because they even use the name Ouija on TV when they talk about demons, but we're going to go in and give this a little bit of a deeper reading. So Jesus has been preaching to Jewish people, basically. He's been in Galilee in Jewish neighborhoods, and he's been preaching. He goes out on the boat. There's a scary incident on the boat. 
and he shows his almighty power in quieting a storm. And Jesus now lands on the other side of the sea, and now he's in the Gentile neighborhood. The name switched to Greek. Uh, I have trouble pronouncing it, and I took Greek for two years. And it's just a foreign world, and that foreignness gets made even stronger by the fact, where does Jesus show up in the Gentile world? Where does he get out the boat? He doesn't get out the boat in Rome. He doesn't get out the boat in Athens or any of the places that the Gentiles are proud of. He gets out in a graveyard. And a graveyard back then was not, when it says this man is among the graves, it's not like the ones down the street or that you see dotted throughout the hillsides here. A graveyard there is a bunch of caves. And that's why the demon act could live in them, because he could live in the catacombs, kind of like he was some sort of first century caveman. And we're painting a very startling picture of him, because he lives among the tombs in verse 3, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. So the people back in that day and age didn't understand psychological things, of course. But they did understand when somebody was dangerous, and they did take steps, no matter how impractical or cool in our minds, to try to keep themselves safe. And with this particular fellow, that didn't work. The folks who tried to bind him up with chains, he broke them. They tried to bind him up with shackles, he broke them. And we just end up with this picture of something absolutely terrible in verse 5. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and cutting themselves with stones. It's not hard to picture how scary this fellow would be. How many of us, if we saw a guy acting crazy and violent and walking around in the middle of the night going, ow, would really want to go and invite him to church? We have trouble inviting folks that are our friends to church, let alone that guy. Well, we also get in here, thanks to those who study the New Testament much more in depth for the rest of us, this image of him cutting himself with stones. And this is where it gets interesting. It, the cutting himself with stones and the address by which he, he, he addresses Jesus when he says, Son of the Most High God, give me incident that not only is this man possessed, have insane strength, wander around like a werewolf and all sorts of scary things that go bump in the night, but he is also being compelled by the demons inside him to worship them. Because cutting yourself, if you remember the story of Elijah where they cut themselves to, to try to get the ball to move, cutting themselves is worshiping the demons in this context. And I think that's where you can pull this out of 1st century AD and you can slam it right now into today and apply it to a whole bunch of stuff. Because we as moderns, see demonic stuff in the New Testament and we go, oh, that must be psychological. But I could tell you that if you were to take someone from the first AD and you were to put them into the 21st century today, they would look at a lot of stuff that we struggle with and say, oh, that's demonic. We have in our day and age all sorts of problems that Martin Luther King would say a generation ago, the people looked out Looking at a story when they asked Jesus to cast out the demon the disciples can't. That we look out and we say, we've done our best, and how come we cannot cast this evil out? 
We have all sorts of social ills. We have addictions. We have sins that have become normalized. There's no difference in divorce rates between Christians and non-Christians in certain generational cohorts. And those have caused there to be damage to children's possibilities of education. That has hurt the Christian witness. And it seems to have gone down into the lifeblood of the very culture. Now, it's not culture's fault when the church messes up. But it seems to just be there's this scary thing going bump in the night in our lives. And I would be bold enough to say that just as the demons in this man force him to cut himself, to give them worship, those ways in which the church is compromising with these sins and damaging things in culture is our idolatry. And the church, we wonder why it is bleeding and having witness these days, but it is literally cutting itself like it is possessed to give worship to the idols that belong in the wrong place. Because we'll get a little Old Testament on this one. There's a reason God says he alone is God, why he gets so mad when the idols are worshipped, because of what is going on inside this man. So the demon act comes to Jesus, Jesus shows up, and in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus casts out the demon. But what's interesting in this story is, well, it's the only time Jesus asks the demon, what's your name? The demon gives a very interesting name. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. It's unclear whether he's trying to sound scary, like he's tough, or it's pointing out the fact that Maybe in some ways when we try to say it is this specific demon or that specific demon, like Jesus' contemporaries would do, well, this causes this, this causes that. This confrontation with evil is pointing out that it is multifaceted, that it's a polymorphous thing, and um, if you try to pick it in this bud, it pops up in the other. It's one thing I often tell people that are new believers. Most new believers have a single sin that they latch on to. I will be right with God if I fix that one. And one of the things that frustrates them the most is God being God and looking at their whole lives and knowing what really needs to change might not be working on the one that you picked first. He may have other priorities for you. Because see, when he forgives your sins and removes that from you, it's forgiven, it's fixed, it will ultimately be done. But he's got the work to do in the meantime. It's this notion of legion that is in this man that Jesus cast out. But just because I have to hurry on here, we get to the weirdest story in all of the Gospels. The demons, when Jesus goes to cast them out, ask not to go out into the desert. There has been all sorts of speculation on exactly what that means. I'm not going to get into any of it here. It is a great rabbit hole if you ever find yourself bored and want to go on Wikipedia and waste three hours. It's a great way to do it. But they ask Jesus to send them into the swine, and the real reason Jesus gives them permission at the very end of the day is what happens once they do. So the swine leave the man, leeching goes out, and they go into this massive herd of swine, and they rush themselves down into the ocean and drown themselves. 
And that's why I'm insisting in this sermon so far on the nature of demonic things, because in destroying the swine, Legion shows what his real intention was the whole time. Legion was not having this man cut him and worship him because he wanted it to go well. Demons do not trick people into worshiping them because they want to save them. They do it because they want to destroy them. Demons do not take over people's wills, sins, addictions, compulsions. They don't come into your life to make it better. They come into your life so you end up exactly like that pig. And it's a very hard conflict here between how the Gentiles will look at Jesus and just get scared and go, Jesus, leave, and what the disciples will have to do when they ultimately follow this example. You see, being in the church, we are in the business of confronting the demonic. Now, not all of us will do it like the Pentecostals, where it'll be loud and showy and grandma's in a hot pew. But every time we confront someone who is living in open and blatant and destructive sin, anytime we try to counsel someone who is self-destructive in the various ways that we do that, we are entering into the tombs, the graveyards, where other people are scared to go. Because I just see so much of human behavior in this. Take someone who is struggling with Let's go with opioids. That one's been popular in the news and is very common here. What is the human, what, what is the world's reaction to that? They cast them off. Their family, their friends, they want to understand it, but they get mad at it. They wish you weren't addicted, so they get mad at you for being addicted, and it just ends up isolating people and driving them off. But I think one of the issues and why the church has been so weak in England in particular is that at best we tend to use religion just to try to bind it up well you're addicted stop being addicted if we bind you up if we toss you in jail maybe so you can't get it there we're going to fix the issue now the issue that the church has here is is we must with jesus step into the situation with the idea that there can actually be exorcism aka transformation of life now we're all christians we come to faith in Jesus with the understanding that there has been a change. We call that being born again in evangelical parlance, but it's transformation of the heart, renewing of the mind, whatever you want to call it. We have this sense that we were sinners and now we are saved. We were far from God and now we are close. Jesus in casting this demon out is exactly enacting that same transformation in this man that has happened in all of us. And so when we do ministry, when we go out and we face these evils in the world, the church has to have this idea that it's going to transform things. And I just find it so frustrating, and I'm trying not to ever bend in my pulpit, but it's my habit today. We have this idea that is crept into the church that it shall not be transformational. That sins become something that we at best just wrap and put in the graveyard, and we might tolerate you here, but it's not going to change. We'll hold you at arm's length, but there's no idea that Jesus is going to go into your life and there's going to be any transformation. And it just has made us seem like these folks, when the swine herds come and they see Jesus and they see the person that convicts them. I see the scariest thing in this whole story for the folks that are on the outside and for the Gentiles that 
Jesus has just stepped into their land and it's the first time he's ever done any ministry there. The scariest thing for them is not that Jesus is there. It's not that they're in a graveyard. The scariest thing to them is that the demon act, the guy with the legion, is sitting there and is actually wearing clothes and is normal. Just think of the implications of that. The scariest thing for them is that the guy fits back in society. The scariest thing for them is that he gets better. It's like, well, it's like the old adage that the scariest thing for the rich guy is to see the poor guy make it. Just the idea, the audacity of it, in fact, that however you may take me on the rest of it, we know that's the most believable part of this story. So I don't want to wrap a bow on this one. I want to let this one linger. And I really hope you do go with it. Why did Jesus cast the demons out of the swine? Because it'll get you into, a, into, into fun debates that have gone through church history and other people's take on this story. But to, to leave this demon act where Jesus does, we get to verse 18 where he's getting into the boat and the man begs him that he might be with him. That's important because the words there are the same exact words that Jesus used when he called the disciples. So Jesus had delivered this man so much that even though he was a Gentile, he's stepping in and getting close to that point of being a disciple. Now we know ultimately he's a disciple, but he's getting close to being one of the twelve. But Jesus says, no. Go instead to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he's shown you. If we want to talk about a world that is culturally no longer Christian, that is pagan, that is Greek, that is Gentile, and we, the, the, the poor little Hebrews, do not understand it, and we wonder why we don't have a message that is having an impact or anything, take it from the guy who's had a whole bunch of demons who's going to listen to what Jesus tells him. He goes home to his friends and tells them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. That's the ultimate formula for exorcism of a great many evils in our lives and it's something that I cannot recommend enough. Our job is not as Christians, as disciples, to bind up the demon acts. It's not to kick them out of town like the Gentiles would so they have to go live in the caves. But our job is to tell them what the Lord has done for us the transformations he's worked in our lives and the mercy he's shown us. Because the most audacious thing of all of it is if we do that and our friends come to a saving faith, that very same transformation, forgiveness, redemption, exorcism, casting the legion out into the pigs would happen for them too. Let us pray.